1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be reading here verses uh, 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Let's, let's pray before we read. Well, our great God, our glorious Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Father, that you have sent your Son to redeem, to save sinners uh, like me. We believe, Father, that through a simple childlike faith in Christ, we're forgiven. We are your children. And we thank you, Father, that our Lord Jesus Christ right now is in the process of making all things new. And we will see it someday in Christ Jesus. So we thank you, Lord God, that everything we see now is not the way it will always be. That it will be healed, restored, recreated, renewed. Uh, and we will live forever with Christ in your presence, Lord God. And we just bless you for that. And we do thank you, Father, that while we are still in this fallen world, you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, for all that the Spirit does in our hearts and, and in our church. We just bless you. And as, as we now, as a church, have begun to focus a little bit more on the work, a person of the Holy Spirit, we would just ask for the blessings of your Spirit upon us and upon your Word. Lord, we do thank you for this time in your Word. We ask for your blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Amen. May the Lord add His blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and errant Word. Uh, for those of you just joining us this morning, we started a sermon series a few weeks back on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, uh, looking specifically at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit now lives within you. And man, this Holy Spirit who lives within you now begins to empower you. This Holy Spirit 
uh, gives to you certain spiritual gifts. Not every Christian has the same gifts or the same strength of gifts, but every Christian has spiritual gifts. And God wants us to understand those spiritual gifts, uh, how to use them as he has intended. So we're doing a series on the spiritual gifts. I've done two introductory sermons so far. If you weren't here for those sermons, I would just highly encourage you to watch those sermons on our website. Just some um, uh, important groundwork for this series. I talked last Sunday about why we are a continuationist church, or why we, uh, the elders at least, why we believe that all the biblical gifts of the Spirit still continue uh, today. Uh, Some Christians, as we talked about last Sunday, believe that some of the more miraculous gifts, like prophecy and tongues, the gift of healing, some of those gifts have ceased today. They believe it's a position called cessationism, but the official position of this church, of the elders anyway, is continuationism, believing that all the gifts still continue today. And I gave reasons last Sunday why we believe all the gifts still continue. I'd highly encourage you to watch that sermon. And and let me say something important about this continuationist position. When it comes to continuationism, to believing that all the gifts still continue today, we do not believe that an open but cautious stance is very biblical. We don't think that open but cautious stance is very biblical. Now, some continuationist churches use that phrase. They say they are open, but they are cautious. They are open to all the gifts, including those so-called miraculous gifts like prophecy, tongues, and healing, but they are just very, very cautious about those certain gifts. Maybe because they've seen abuses of those gifts, and there have been abuses. People doing all kinds of crazy things. You see it on TV, and then calling it the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or because maybe people have been hurt by someone supposedly practicing those gifts. So now some continuationist churches would say they're open, but they are cautious. Uh, and, And, you know, that's really the way our church has functioned to some degree in the past. We've always been open to all the gifts in our elder affirmation of faith. But we have been pretty cautious uh, for some of the reasons I just mentioned. The abuses we've seen with particular gifts and so on. But here's the thing. Over the past few years, the elders here have become increasingly convinced that that open but cautious position is just not very biblical. Because... God never tells us in the Bible to be cautious toward any of his gifts. On the contrary, as we've already seen in this series, God tells us multiple times in the Bible to earnestly desire his gifts. All of his gifts, including those so-called more miraculous gifts. The, the Greek there, when it talks about earnestly desiring God's gifts, it means that we should be intensely interested in God's gifts. We should strive for, we should exert ourselves for God's spiritual gifts. Especially, the Bible says, that we should prophesy. 
So God never tells us in the Bible to be cautious concerning his gifts. Now, God does tell us in the Bible to test all things. To to weigh all things like prophecy or tongues or healing to make sure that they are from God. So when we see someone, for instance, like Benny Hinn on TV claiming he has the gift of healing, we are to test that. And let me say from everything I've seen, Benny Hinn does not have the genuine gift of healing. But God never says we should be cautious. Test things, yes, cautious no we should actually earnestly desire the spiritual gifts but open but cautious is is just not found in the bible and here's the problem with this open but cautious thing the problem is that it quickly becomes open but suspicious or open but fearful of god's gifts and you, you might still say on paper that you're open, that your continuation is believing in your head, all the gifts still continue, but in practice, you're really cessationist. You are functioning as if certain gifts actually had ceased. And many continuationists now are recognizing open but cautious, that's not a biblical position. Here's the thing, you can be a cessationist and say some of the gifts have stopped and you don't need to earnestly desire those gifts. Now, we don't think that's biblical, but at least it's consistent. Or you can say all the gifts continue and you can earnestly desire all the gifts, which is biblical, we believe, and consistent. But this middle ground of we believe all the gifts continue, but we're going to be cautious about these gifts when God told us to earnestly desire them, God doesn't leave middle ground for us. It's just not a biblical position. And and many people are acknowledging that. Jason Meyer, who took over uh, as lead pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church after John Piper left, uh, he, he, Jason Meyer wrote an article on desiring God, and he said in this article many of the same things the elders here had already been thinking and discussing for a couple of years about this open but cautious position. Jason Meyer said this. He said, even though I have always been a theoretical continuationist, I am far too often a functional cessationist. In other words, I am a continuationist in theory, but I look... L- a lot like a cessationist in practice. And this gap between theory and practice pricks my conscience. Recently, I've been convicted by clear differences between the way the Bible speaks and the way I speak about spiritual gifts. I have said things like, I am open but cautious when it comes to sign gifts like prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. That statement about caution rightly stresses the need to test everything. Every experience must be examined by the searchlight of Scripture. However, in practice, I can take this caution so far that it turns into suspicion and fear. Instead of open but cautious, I'm more like open but overly suspicious i have discovered that scripture tests our attitudes and not just our experiences it was a little shocking to see how much my attitude is actually rebuked by scripture paul commands christians earnestly desire the spiritual gifts he characterizes the corinthians as eager for manifestations of the spirit my attitude towards spiritual gifts has fallen far short of earnest and 
eager. And that, that right there is one of the reasons for this series on the spiritual gifts. Because we, as elders anyway, have always believed on paper that all the gifts still continue. And we now just want to start treating God's gifts as He commands. Not with caution and suspicion and fear, but earnest, eager, praying for, pursuing, practicing all the gifts that God would be pleased to give us here in our church family. But here's the thing. We do want to practice the spiritual gifts biblically. And that is where so many abuses of the spiritual gifts have come into play. It's through people who want to practice certain gifts in the Bible, but they're not practicing them biblically. And you end up with crazyville. You really do. And that... It is why we're working through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, because God has given us here in the Bible some really good guidelines for how to practice his gifts. Andrew Wilson, who um, has written just lots of great stuff on the spiritual gifts, I encourage you to go online, look for Andrew, Andrew Wilson. Um, he's in England, some of the things he's written on Desiring God and other places about the spiritual gifts. Uh, in one of his articles on Desiring God, he says this. He says, for those who are persuaded that the gifts continue as I am, the question then becomes, how do we pursue these gifts without being distracted? dominated or divided by them the answer without wanting to be flippant is simply by doing what paul says especially in first corinthians 12 to 14 there are all sorts of constraints in there that will help us whether as pastors or church members to handle the gifts with wisdom love and an unwavering focus on jesus boundaries are blessings guardrails are gifts and that is why we're walking through these chapters because god's given us boundaries guardrails here which are a blessing which are a gift to us so we're going to start today uh, finally kind of wading into first corinthians 12 here and we are just kind of wading in today Uh, just looking at a couple more general things here in this text and in my next sermon we're going to come back to the second half of this text and look at it in more detail. So before we kind of look at it here, let me give you a little context for this letter um, to the Corinthians. Uh, There's a saying when you study any part of the Bible, well, context is king. You, you, You want to know as much as you can about that book, about the author, the setting, so you can interpret things accurately. Context just so important. So a little bit of the context for 1 Corinthians here. This letter was written uh, originally by the Apostle Paul. He was writing to a church that he started in a place called Corinth, which was in Greece. Uh, I've also been preaching through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 14, and Paul will actually plant this church in Corinth in Acts 18. Paul will go to Corinth, he'll preach Christ there, many people will come to faith in Christ, and a church was then planted or started there in Corinth. Acts 18.11 says that Paul then stayed there in Corinth for 18 months, preaching the word of God to these new Christians there. 
And Paul then left to go to Ephesus. But sometime later, Paul received some disturbing news from Corinth. And he wrote a letter to the church. It's a letter that we no longer possess. Uh, It's often called Paul's lost letter to the Corinthians. But we know he wrote another letter to the Corinthians. And Paul then received a letter back from the Corinthians. Apparently a letter filled with lots of questions. Questions that indicated that back in that church in Corinth, there was some significant theological confusion. This letter indicating to Paul that this church in Corinth was now divided over several issues. So, Paul responded to their questions with this letter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7.1 says this. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And then Paul just started answering all these questions. Just speaking to these issues that were dividing the church in Corinth. Paul then covering in this letter things like marriage and celibacy in chapter 7. Or food offered to idols. Chapter 8. Or the resurrection. Chapter 15. Or spiritual gifts. Chapters 12 through 14. Paul was answering a question that the Corinthians opposed to him. They were apparently divided over the spiritual gifts. And when Paul responds, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Paul is addressing primarily in these chapters the use of spiritual gifts in a corporate gathered setting. Like this. How the gifts should be practiced when the church comes together in some way in order that there would not be disorder, but that there would be order. Apparently there was lots of disorder as this church in Corinth tried to practice the spiritual gifts. So Paul is ordering that in their public settings. And it seems here that the gift, the, the spiritual gift here that was maybe causing the most problems in this church in Corinth was the gift of tongues. Uh, the the, the Spirit-inspired other languages. It, because Paul says a ton in these chapters about the gift of tongues. And, and it seems that the church was divided over this gift of tongues. The, the, some believers in Corinth had elevated tongues over the other gifts. And those who had the gift of tongues, they saw themselves as more spiritual than the other people in this church and they thought that those without the gift of tongues well they were maybe not truly part of the body of Christ they were maybe not even possessing the holy spirit as if tongues was the one true manifestation of the spirit of god and if you did not speak in the tongues well you might not have the spirit of all that seems that seems to be one faction in corinth but on the other side there there seems to be another group of believers who wanted to forbid tongues maybe because they couldn't understand what the people were saying in tongues and they wanted to get rid of them altogether So Paul here in these chapters, he he seems to walk this tightrope a little bit with the gift of tongues. Now on on one hand, 
he kind of downplays tongues for those who had elevated it too much. And, and he, he talks that, that there's all kinds of gifts in, in the body of Christ. And, and, and so he downplays on one hand, but then on the other hand, he also upholds the gift of tongues. And he says, no, don't forbid the gift of tongues. There should just always be an interpretation when there's a gift of tongues so everyone can understand. So we don't know exactly. You've got to kind of piece it together. But it seems there was some sort of division over this gift of tongues. So that's the general context here in Corinth. And, and Paul now speaks into that context. And in these opening verses here, one thing Paul does here is Paul gives here just two very simple marks of the Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul gives here two things the Holy Spirit produces in every Christian. Two things the Spirit produces in every Christian church. Two marks of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the first mark of the Holy Spirit that Paul mentions here, one thing that the Holy Spirit produces in every Christian's life, in all believers' lives, here it is, the Holy Spirit produces a unified confession of faith. The Holy Spirit produces a unified confession of faith. The Holy Spirit produces within all genuine believers a unified common confession of faith in Christ. If you look again at at verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, or the Greek there could be brothers and sisters... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And pause. If you were a little confused over what Paul just said right there, or why he said it, You are not alone. (laughs) It is notoriously difficult to figure out exactly what Paul was trying to say there in the opening verses or what might have been happening in Corinth that would have prompted him to say those things. Commentators have wrestled over those first few verses. It's the reason why a lot of people, when they preach through these chapters, they just skip over verses 1 to 3. And you go see, you look at people who preach on these chapters, they start in verse 4. And I know now, after this week, why they do that. Uh, it is very difficult to know exactly what Paul's getting at right there. You ever have a test in school, and you sit down and you open your test, and man, that very first problem just kicks your tail. And, and you, you want to just give up on the rest of the test at that point, and you spend all your time with that one problem on the test? Well, that's those verses right there. Gordon Fee, who's written one of the most respected commentaries on 1 Corinthians, he says that those verses are, quote, one of the more difficult moments in this entire book. Uh, thankfully, it doesn't, I don't think, impact Paul's overall argument in these chapters. And, and, you know, a couple things there are very clear. For starters, Paul's just letting these Corinthian believers know that he wants them to be informed about spiritual things. 
Uh, he says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, or one of the difficulties, the Greek there could also be translated as spiritual things or spiritual people. Now, concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual things or spiritual people, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant or, or un, unaware. And he says in verse 2 there, you Corinthians know that when you were pagans, when you were lost, you were separated from Christ, you were led astray, Paul says, badly in spiritual things. You ended up following, Paul says, mute idols made by human hands. You lived in spiritual darkness, very ignorant concerning spiritual things. But now that you're Christians, I want you to be informed concerning true spiritual things or people or or gifts. And then here's verse 3 again. Therefore, Paul says, because I do not want you to be uninformed, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in this spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit, and that's where things get difficult. Uh, why is Paul saying that to these people in Corinth? You know what, the options are limitless. You can go read on it later this week if you want. I'm not going to cover them all. I think, personally, that Paul might have been speaking to both sides of the tongues debate right there. And that first uh, line was maybe spoken to those who wanted to get rid of tongues because they couldn't understand what other people were saying in tongues. And they thought they might even be saying Jesus is cursed in tongues. And Paul says, no, no one's truly speaking the Spirit of God would say Jesus is accursed. I think that next line could have been spoken to those who were elevating tongues. And they were thinking that those who didn't speak in tongues might not even have the Holy Spirit. And so Paul makes a statement and he says, no one can even just say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So you can go figure that out later this week. Uh, All I want to focus on today, really, is that last statement by the Apostle Paul. Because Paul does right there make a very important point concerning the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Paul says, that last statement there, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And again, I think Paul there, he might have been talking to the people in this church who spoken tongues those who believed the gift of tongues maybe made them more spiritual those who thought the people who did not speak in tongues were maybe not truly part of the body of christ maybe they did not truly possess the holy spirit so paul now says there clearly it isn't just those who speak in tongues who have the spirit but everyone who truly says jesus is lord well that person whether or not they speak in tongues that person has the Holy Spirit. Because no one, Paul says, can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's a significant statement from the Apostle Paul. 
the Apostle Paul has just given us there one genuine mark of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. One of the primary things that the Spirit produces within all genuine Christians everywhere is a confession of faith in Christ. A unified confession from all true believers. The Holy Spirit causing all true believers to to believe and to say that Jesus is Lord. That confession, an indication that someone has the Holy Spirit. One of the primary marks of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. You confess with your mouth, as Romans 10.9 says, that Jesus is Lord. You would not say that. Catch it. You would not say that today, Christian. You would not say that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you, causing you to see Jesus as Lord and to profess Him as Lord. Now, have to be careful with this. As Paul says here, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You have to be careful there. Because you can actually say those words, Jesus is Lord. You can say Jesus is my Lord without really having the Holy Spirit in your heart. You know, many people today have been baptized in the name of Jesus. They, they say often that Jesus is my Lord, but they've not yet truly been born again by the Spirit of God. Christ is not yet truly their Lord, which means master. They've not yet truly submitted to Jesus as their master. They're not yet really following Christ as their master. Jesus in Matthew 7, 21, he says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we got to be careful here with what Paul says. Just the mere words, just saying Jesus is your Lord, doesn't always mean that Jesus truly is your Lord. But listen, I don't think Paul was talking there just about saying the words, Jesus is Lord. No, I think Paul was talking there about people who had truly submitted to Jesus as their Lord. You see, a confession of faith back then, people back in this day, if they say Jesus is their Lord. That typically meant a lot more back then than it does in America today. If you confessed publicly back then that Jesus was your Lord, and and you were baptized publicly saying Jesus was your Lord, you could then very easily be killed for saying that Jesus was your Lord. So those who publicly proclaimed, Jesus is my Lord, they were typically very serious about the Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike many people in in America today. Paul's words there about saying Jesus is Lord, I think Paul was talking there about people who live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
John Piper said this about these verses. He said, practicing the Lordship of Jesus is the issue. Not just saying that Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord and mean it. Except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus Christ is Lord and mean it. No one can say Jesus Christ is Lord and truly live it to the end. Except by the Holy Spirit. Now pause and just catch the significance now of what Paul just said. When a person does have a genuine confession of faith. They are saying Jesus is my Lord and they mean it and they live it. When when a person truly is submitted to Jesus as their master, well, Paul just said that no one can say Jesus is Lord and really mean it except by the Holy Spirit. Paul just gave one of the primary marks of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. You could not, you would not say Jesus is Lord and mean it and follow through with it unless the Holy Spirit actually lived within you and caused you to do it. And listen, the Bible's clear. Before you meet Christ... The Bible says that you're dead in in your sin. You're you're spiritually blind. You, like these Corinthians, have been led astray to idols. You're enslaved to idolatry in in this world. You're, You're living in a complete spiritual darkness. And please hear this. In that in that dead and blind condition, the Bible says that you cannot. Submit to Christ. You cannot submit to God's laws. You you cannot submit to God. Romans 8, 7 says this. For the mind that is set on the flesh, or the lost mind, the, the person who's dead in their sin, that mind is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. In your lost and fallen state, you do not have the natural ability to submit to God's law. You don't have the ability to submit to God. You don't have the natural ability to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that will ever change for you, the Holy Spirit must change your heart and your mind. If Jesus died to pay for your sins, thank God for that. But the Holy Spirit must then actually bring you to Christ and cause you to trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit must bring you from death to life. The Holy Spirit must open your blind eyes so you can see the beauties of Christ. So you can, the Holy Spirit must give you a heart desire for Christ. It's only the Holy Spirit who can cause you to truly Submit to Jesus as Lord. And if you have truly turned to Christ and you've confessed Jesus is Lord and you meant it and now 
you're truly seeking to follow Christ as your master. Well, Paul says there that is an indication that you truly possess the Holy Spirit. That living confession is a mark of the Spirit in a person's life. David Pryor says this, to enter the waters of baptism and to declare Jesus is Lord, to mean it, and to adhere to it through everything until death, that requires the inspiration of the Spirit of God Himself. Or Leon Morris says it a little bit differently. He says, It is only by the Holy Spirit that anyone can hail Christ as Lord. Obviously, a mocking unbeliever can mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. Paul is not denying this. He is saying that the words can be uttered with full meaning only under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Lordship of Christ is not a human discovery. It is a discovery that is made and can be made only when the Spirit is at work in the heart. So, regardless of whatever else Paul might be saying in verses 1 to 3, Paul at the very least has just given us there one of the primary marks of the Holy Spirit. Something the Spirit produces in every genuine Christian and in every Christian church. The Holy Spirit, before anything else, produces a unified confession of faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit causing all God's people to say Jesus is Lord and mean it. And you know, you think of these Christians back in Corinth now. Just pause. That would have been very important for them to hear. Because some of the Christians in Corinth, it seems, believed only those who spoke in tongues or had certain spiritual gifts, only they maybe truly belonged to the body of Christ, truly had the Holy Spirit. And God corrects them right here. No, everyone, everyone who truly says Jesus as Lord and means it, no matter what gifts they have, that person is part of the body, truly has the Spirit of God in them. And you know what? That is a great correction for many churches today when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because some Christians today have tried to say that if you don't have this certain spiritual gift, well, you might not truly be part of the body of Christ. You might not truly have the Holy Spirit living within you. Some genuine Christians have been tormented by stuff like that. Someone told them that if they truly had the Spirit, well, they, they would do this or that, some spiritual gift. And they don't have that gift. And now they're absolutely tormented that they might not actually belong to Christ. Some denominations have said that about the gift of tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you may not have the Holy Spirit truly dwelling in your heart. Or they may not say that, but that's what's implied to you. The gift of tongues is the only real manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have it, where does that leave you? And God corrects that here. 
It's not certain gifts that indicate primarily that one is connected to Christ and has the Holy Spirit. It's first and foremost your confession of faith. First and foremost. For no one, Paul says, can say Jesus is Lord and mean it except in the Holy Spirit. So if you say Jesus is Lord and you mean it, that's an indication the Holy Spirit lives in your heart regardless of what gifts of the Spirit you have. Does that make sense? And do you see how that could correct some of the abuses that are out there today? Now, before we look at the spiritual gifts, let's start here. That the primary indication of the Spirit in our lives is, is a, 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 an authentic, believable confession of faith. An indication the Spirit lives, regardless of what gifts you have. So that's one important mark of the Spirit Paul gives here. One thing the Spirit produces in every in Christian in every Christian church, a unified confession of faith. And a second mark of the Holy Spirit here, second thing the Holy Spirit produces, here it is, the Holy Spirit produces a diversified gifting. It produces a unified confession, but a very diversified gifting. If you just glance in your Bibles there, don't put it on the screen yet, but just in your Bibles, just look at verse 4 and following. You know, we'll be coming back to these verses in my next sermon. I'll then kind of define some of the different gifts here and talk about how they might be practiced in in the church. But I just want you to notice today how Paul talks now about the very diverse gifts the Holy Spirit produced in the body of Christ. And man, Paul makes it clear here that it's the same Spirit who produces all of these different gifts. We'll read it here in just a second. I just want you to notice how many times Paul says the word same. As in, through the same Spirit, but also then notice this great diversity of gifts that this same Spirit produces. You look at verse 4 again. Paul kind of switches um, direction a little bit now and says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And Paul now just lists some of these varieties of gifts. For to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he so wills. It's just everywhere. Same Spirit, same Spirit, same Spirit. Varieties of gifts, varieties of gifts, varieties of of gifts. So this Holy Spirit who produces in all God's people this very unified confession of faith in Christ, well, this same Spirit also produces in God's spirit, people a very diversified gifting. D.A. Carson, who wrote a fantastic um, book on these chapters called Showing the Spirit, great book, I'd encourage you to read it. He, he describes the flow of Paul's argument here in, in this passage, this entire passage. He says, Paul is, is saying this, I want you to know, Corinthians, that all who truly confess Jesus as Lord do so by the Holy Spirit and thus attest His presence in their lives. But that does not mean there are no distinctions to be made 
among them. And Paul's concern now is not so much with unity as with diversity. Paul just pointing out now this wide diversity of gifts in God's people. Some with this gift, some with that gift, all empowered by the same Spirit. You know, you just pause and think about it. Our God loves diversity. Do do you get that? That He loves diversity? That there's no racism in God? Do you get that? God loves every single ethnic group He created. All the same in His eyes. Loves them. There is not one bit of racism in, in God. He loves diversity. He, you, you can see that just in the way we look. I mean, my word, just in this room here, God created tall ones, short ones, big ones, small ones, black hair, blonde hair, red hair, no hair, fully sanctified. All these different shapes and sizes, all these different skin colors. God, God just loves diversity. So much so that someone once said, when God sends a snowstorm, he makes every flake different. Loves diversity. The unified confession of faith in the people of God of very diverse gifts. You can think of it maybe like a football team. We all have the same name on our shirts. We are the Titans, mighty, mighty Titans. No, we don't have Titans on the front of our shirt. We wear Jesus as Lord. It's the one unified confession of the people of God. Confessing Jesus as Lord by the Spirit, now worshiping Christ, worship, working for the cause of Christ. But everyone on this team has different gifts. Some quarterbacks, running backs, linemen, and somebody has to kick. <laughs> I don't want the job of kicker. I don't know if you ever watch a football game. You make the kick, nobody says anything to you. You miss the kick, they hate you. But somebody has to kick in the, in the family of God. So I don't know if that's you, but you'll be rewarded greatly in the kingdom of heaven if, if that's you. It's just this great diversity that the Spirit produces in the body of, of Christ. You know one of the problems, however, in the church is we don't want people to be different. We don't want snowflakes all different. No, we want to manufacture ice cubes all the same. D.A. Carson says this. He says, doubtless the church is in some sense like a mighty army, but that does not mean we should think of ourselves as undifferentiated khaki. We should be more like an orchestra, each part making its own unique contribution to the symphonic harmony. And man, you, you just stop and you think about this diversified gifting in the body of Christ that Paul now talks about here. You know what this amazing diversity in the body is a reflection of? The Trinity. It's a reflection of God himself. I don't know if you caught this, but in those verses we just read, well, Paul alludes to the Trinity here. You look at verse 4 again. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. And there are varieties of service, but the same 
Lord, that's the New Testament title for Jesus, the Son, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God, the New Testament's title for God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. There's, there's an allusion there to the Trinity, this amazing diversity of gifts that the Spirit produces in the body of Christ. It's a reflection of the Trinity, of God Himself. There's only one God, but there are three persons in that one Godhead, all the persons equal in essence but very distinct roles and God created us in his image in the body of Christ all of us created equal in essence before God but very distinct roles very different gifts a beautiful reflection of God himself and this statement here by Paul in these verses about the wide variety of gifts in the body of Christ Paul was probably correcting this Corinthian church again This church that had seemingly elevated certain gifts above other gifts, that was focused on just a few gifts, especially that gift of tongues. If you spoke in tongues, you were probably considered elite in this church. If you did not speak in tongues, well, you were not part of the elite, might not even be part of the body at all, might not have the spirit of all, and God corrects that right there. says no. There are many gifts, all the gifts necessary, all the gifts, a beautiful reflection of my own being. And you know what? Churches today need that same correction. Because churches today also tend to elevate certain gifts. With focus on certain gifts of the Spirit. Some continuationist churches just focus on the more extraordinary gifts. They just focus on things like healing or prophecy or, 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 or miracles or, or, or the gift of tongues. Yeah, those are important. But those who don't have those gifts, who maybe have more ordinary looking gifts like mercy or service or leadership, well, they feel like second class citizens. Maybe they don't belong to the body of Christ. Maybe they don't actually have the spirit of God. And God corrects that here says the Spirit produces many gifts, all of them necessary, all of them put together a beautiful reflection of God Himself. So Corinthians and churches today, stop limiting the work of the Spirit to just one or two gifts. Stop elevating just one or two gifts. Stop tormenting those who don't have those certain gifts because the Holy Spirit gifts us in very diverse ways. You know, in my next sermon... We'll wade deeper in the second half of this text and kind of start defining some of the gifts and different things. We don't want to be suspicious of God's gifts or fearful of God's gifts. We want to earnestly desire all of God's gifts, learn how to practice them as God would be pleased to give them to us, but we do want to practice them biblically, and God has given us good guidelines, good boundaries in His Word. He's already done it. One, one thing the Holy Spirit does, everybody has a unified confession of faith. If that's you, you have the Spirit of God, regardless of what gifts you have. And two, the Spirit also gives you diverse giftings to His body. So let's celebrate the diverse giftings and not focus so much on one or two gifts of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do bless Your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that even difficult, even in difficult places in your scripture that we can find good nuggets of truth. 
And we do thank you, Father, for the very uh, simple work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First of all, prompting us to confess Jesus as Lord, causing us to follow Jesus as Lord. We thank you, Father. Every person in this church who does that right now is one of your children, truly possessing the Spirit of God inside of their hearts if they hold that confession to the end. Father, we just thank you for that. And then we just thank you for the many diverse gifts. We thank you for the diverse gifts you've given us here in this body. That you didn't create us all to be ice cubes, but you made us to be snowflakes. And Lord, we want to see and know the gifts you've given to us. And Father, we want everybody here to use the gifts that, that we have received. So Father, lead us, we pray. We thank you for instruction in your word. We pray for your help as we continue in this series. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.